Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In preparation for this Reformation celebration, I thought I'd do some scholarly research using the tried and true source that we call Facebook. (laughs) I know Pastor Trevor in his video this week kind of trashes Facebook for its enabling our lack of restraint, but I just couldn't help myself. (laughs) Nowadays, people think Facebook is so credible that it may have reached Luther's sola status. I mean, we have sola gratia, sola fide, sola scriptura, so why not sola Facebooka? I found two cute little ditties which might draw our attention to a couple of contributions of the Reformation. The first one was this. You are saved by works. What? I thought we spent the last 500 years dismantling that notion. We are not saved by works. We're saved by grace alone. But maybe if you think about it, it it is true. Granted, we are not saved by our works, but we are saved by works, Christ's works. We are saved by Christ's active works and his passive works. You see, Christ fulfilled every law of his Father. Everything he did right gets credited to us. Pure grace. And then Christ paid the full payment for our disobedience. He did that on the cross. He actively paid by passively dying. And we get credit for that payment. Pure grace. So I guess we are saved by works. Christ's works. And those saving works drew my attention to another Facebook post which is counterintuitive to our times and our minds. I often hear from people going through an especially tough time say something like this, why do bad things happen to good people? And I get where they're coming from. Been there myself. But if we take one giant step out of the experiential and into the cognitive, we might get a different picture. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, here's the smart aleck, but perhaps theologically accurate answer. Well, that only happened once in history, and he volunteered. See, it happened some 2,000 years ago to a man named Jesus, who alone is good and perfect. And Jesus volunteered to go the way of the cross so that we get exactly what we don't deserve, forgiveness and eternal life. Now, I would never say that to a person reeling from the pain of crisis, 
But maybe when life is good, we can reflect upon that humbling truth. Such active and passive obedience, such vicarious atonement were and are battle cries of the Reformation. In the past, I've given you the Reader's Digest version of the European Reformation. Let's fast forward some 300 years to the migration which kicked off what we know as the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Here's the cliff note version. A group of Saxons from Germany migrated to America in 1838. And this migration was motivated not only by a desire for religious freedom, but also by a desire for improved social and economic conditions. The theological teachings of Lutheranism were challenged by the rise of pietism in Germany, and pietism tended to emphasize Christian living over Christian doctrine, and that always carried with it the danger of becoming more self-centered and less Christ-centered. Rationalism challenged the thinking foundation of Christianity when it placed reason over revelation. So that principle of the Bible alone was challenged. Such important teachings like Christ's resurrection and baptismal regeneration could be rejected. A third challenge was the rise of Prussian nationalism in the early 19th century. But that's kind of boring, so I'll skip that. <laughs> Rationalism, pietism, and the Prussian Union inspired a small group of German Saxons to leave Germany and travel to Missouri. Now, what does this historical context have to do with Esther? Not much. But it is Reformation Sunday, and we have to say something about the role of the Reformation in history. Maybe that's what it has to do with Esther. God worked in history to reform his church. God worked in history to gather his church. And he did that through Esther, whether she realized it or not. In German, we often call this Heilsgeschichte, means salvation history. And the pinnacle of this history is the cross of Christ. And God's plan then radiates forward and backward, ahead in time and back in time. God worked his plan of salvation in history. That means that God works his plan also through unsuspecting people like you and me, just like he did Esther. First, let's try to tie together all three readings assigned for today. They address security, freedom, and truth with each contingent upon the latter notion. In our gospel lesson, we heard that God is worshiped in truth. And in our epistle lesson, we see that this truth makes us free, just like sons and daughters. 
And freedom gives us security. Esther found that this security is found not in human relationships, but rather, even though she doesn't explicitly say it, in one's relationship with God. And security breeds certainty. And certainty is a major contribution of the Reformation. That is certain. Certainty trumps uncertainty. Uncertainty is part of the human condition. Certainty is part of God's solution. During the Reformation, Luther had to deal with a lot of spiritual uncertainty. He was being bombarded with a picture of an angry and unapproachable and judging Christ. And as we approach Halloween, we need to be reminded that this picture is a very scary picture. Luther was saturated with soteriological uncertainty. Was salvation really dependent upon us being good enough? I hope not. That would be a big fail for each of us. Was salvation really dependent upon us giving enough? I hope not. Otherwise, class distinction would dictate our approval rating. Was our salvation really dependent upon our being obedient enough? I hope not. Otherwise, we would all enter a disobedient dilemma to the devil's delight. But, Upon further investigation into scripture, Luther's scary uncertainty transformed into certain relief. You see, scripture portrays a gracious Christ, one who approaches us with comfort and blessings and the freedom of forgiveness. Scripture presents a Christ who not only makes up for our failings, but credits us with his own salvatory success. Scripture presents the only satisfactory gift is the one Christ provided on the cross of Calvary. Scripture presents the only effective obedience is that displayed by Christ. Apostle Paul refers to the obedience of Jesus when he writes in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Scripture teaches that certainty is found only in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Certainty is found in the truth. And the truth made flesh is Jesus. And Jesus is the source of real freedom. And freedom alone accommodates a sense of security. And who doesn't want that? Esther had that. 
In the midst of Hamanian malice, Esther enjoyed security. Pastor Trevor, in his video this week, notes Esther's teachable spirit, and this teachable spirit can be viewed both passively and actively. Esther was both willing to be taught, and Esther was willing to teach. We too need to first assume the passive posture of being taught God's certain grace in Christ Jesus. That alone provides us with truth, freedom, and security. Then teach, and start by teaching your children. Like Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young sang, teach your children well. Then not only will they love you, they will love our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who alone provides certainty and its resultant freedom, truth, and security. Then, as a family, as a family of God, we really will live in fearless faith and radical trust. And that's the truth. Amen.